All right, so uh, we are working our way through uh, Samuel, First uh, Samuel. Now, if you recall, we went through part of Samuel, First Samuel, and we went through 1 through 12. And so now we're returning to Samuel. And hopefully you got your, your study guides in the back. I hope you did, uh, because uh, they're really good. Uh, never mind that I wrote it. No, I'm just kidding. No, five of us wrote this one. So uh, today's actually, and I borrowed somewhat heavily from, is uh, what Everett had uh, done his part on. So uh, that makes it kind of easy because then you just kind of go through the study guide and you kind of know what's going to be coming next. So that's what we're doing here. Now I titled this Saul, the people's king. Saul, the people's king. And I, I titled it that way because although he was anointed by God, he was really the choice of the people in reality. Because if you'll recall last time uh, when we were going through this, the people all said, what did they say? We want a king like everybody else. Okay, we're tired of these judges. We would like to have a king. Okay. And Samuel, being the last judge, had to uh, comply, if you will. Not that he really wanted to, but the reality is, uh, what did God tell Samuel? Oh, wait a minute. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And I'm going to give them what they asked for. And then Samuel announces to them all the stuff they're going to get with this here king. Because they didn't want God to be their king. They wanted a king, some ruler. So, I called it that way. And you'll see towards later on, and and Everett identifies that David is a king after God's own heart. And there's a difference there. And so, as we go through, we're going to see some things. Now, I tend not to be as hard on King Saul as some of the commentaries I read. Okay, and, and I do this because anybody who's been in any of the classes I teach, I try to stick myself in the shoes of the character being uh, discussed. All right, how would I react? How would I feel about that? Uh, how, how would I uh, observe that situation or, or deal with that situation? So, although Saul fouled things up pretty badly, yet if you put yourself in Saul's shoes, maybe you'd have done the same thing he did. I don't know. But that's kind of my my view of it. And when we talk about Saul, King Saul, and why he, you know, he was picked, and the people really said, we picked a really good king. He stood head above everybody else, right? So they estimate him to be about somewhere between 6'4 and 6'6. Six, six. He was a big guy, all right? And he's a warrior, and that's one of the other things they felt. We need a good king that's a good warrior, and boy, that dude's big, and he can probably be a really good warrior, so that was some of the things. So what were they looking at? They were looking, again, the outward appearance. And what is God looking for? The inward heart. He's, that's what he's ultimately looking for. Uh, but that's all of us doing that. Do you realize that we pick our rulers based on their size? Did that ever cross anybody's mind? Probably not. You know who's the shortest president we ever had? Anybody. Adams. Yeah. Okay. Well, he was pudgy. But I, I misspoke. It was actually Madison. You know why I remember that? Because the same height as me, five foot four. Come on, it's a good reason to remember that. All right. So, so he was our shortest. Who was our tallest? Lincoln, six foot four. Big fit. And our average, five eleven. Just saying. All right. We like tall. Okay. So that's just 
what people do. They, they got this thing. They're picking them out. In fact, for the longest time, if you want to do some extracurricular useless reading, uh, you can find out why uh, various political groups pick the sizes of their presidents and things like that. It's really weird stuff. If you're bored to death, you can do that stuff uh, sometime. Uh, as we jump ahead here, Saul's now been king for about two years when this all takes place. And realize this situation that occurs is very unfortunate. But he's kind of in a pickle. He's gotten himself into a battle with the Philistines. Um, you could say he kind of provoked it, but it was coming. And so now here's his situation. He shows up. He's got 3,000 men. He's ready to uh, get into war. He's making his plans. He is making good logical command as far as how he's going to apportion the troops with his son and himself. First time we hear of Jonathan and things like that. Except the Philistines show up with 6,000 chariots. Ooh. Okay. So he's got a problem. Um, it's charioteers. And that's 30,000 chariots. So he's overmatched. He's outgunned. And so can you... Can you imagine that? You're getting ready to go for war and you got 3,000 good guys and then you see the enemy show up with 30,000? Well, you're feeling a little bit overwhelmed. Wouldn't that be a logical thing? I think it would be. I think it's one of those situations where we're, because we're here reading this, going like, well, come on, we know how this ends, right? We know how it turned out. Uh, boy, you shouldn't have been such a wimp. You shouldn't have been so scared. You should have known God was going to win the day and and we can say a bunch of stuff. Uh, but now put yourself there. Okay. And, and now your guys are so scared, they're leaving. They're hiding in rocks and bushes and they're, 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 they're going AWOL because they don't want to die. Right? They're looking at this going, I don't care how big you are, Saul. Uh, we're in trouble. You know, they got a lot of guys. And so I, I think this is part of the thing. So I, what I did is I kind of broke this out uh, in my outline form, if you will, just to kind of give you an overview. Uh, we'll all experience testing, number one. Everybody is going to experience testing. Two, we'll be tempted at times to give in to fear. Everybody. That's just across the board. Uh, three, it's foolish to let go of God and his words in your time of need. Under that, don't justify your wrongdoings. Admit your sins and accept the consequences of your failures. So that's kind of the way I'm going to be going with this. Everybody here faces trials and tribulations. Everybody here has faced situations where you're like, this is going to be bad. Okay, nobody, you know, if you've been walking around the planet for any period of time, you know that. All right. Uh, we, we just prayed about some of these situations this morning. We prayed for Kevin and his family. We prayed for the Wilson family, the Koran family. Um, everybody here is dealing with something, whether it's sicknesses, disease, illnesses, um, family issues, uh, finances, whatever. Everybody's dealing with stuff. All right. And so for me, I just looked at this and I said, okay, when we go into battle, okay, any battle, I don't care what the battle is, where are we supposed to go? Okay, you know, I'm going to go to Ephesians 6, right? So we're going to start there. We're going to go to Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. If you want to join me there, Ephesians, you, probably most of you already memorized this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. 
put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist on the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having belted your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having strapped on your feet the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all that, taking up the shield of faith, which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's what we're all getting to do every day. I hope you're all doing that every day, because I know if I don't, I'm going to be in trouble. Okay? So I think that's one of those things where we have to realize that. Saul is looking at a real serious problem. All right? This isn't a light thing. I mean, he is way overmatched. And so he is the king. He is responsible for his troops. Anybody that's been involved in command understands what it means to be responsible for the people below you and their welfare. You understand that. And so he is, in reality, doing what he should have been, really concerned. Now, the thing he should have been doing is really praying hard, really praying. He was given a command. He was told something he was supposed to do. He was commanded by the prophet Samuel, wait seven days. Wait seven days. I will come there and sacrifice unto the Lord and prepare for this battle. Wait seven days. So, nothing's going on. His troops are leaving. People are scattering. He's getting worried. He's now looking around going like, where is Samuel? It's the seventh day. Where is he? So he does what? The exact thing he shouldn't have done. He decides, well, I'm going to do the sacrifice. Samuel isn't showing up. And disobeys God. Disobeys him. Now, just after he finishes sacrificing the animals, here comes Samuel. We're still on the seventh day. And so what does Saul do? He runs out. Hey, glad you finally showed up. That's a good thing. And by the way, look, I already got the sacrifices going. Wrong answer, right? That was the exact wrong thing. See, the thing that it was, Samuel showed up when he was supposed to. Saul was impatient. He became fearful of the situation. He did what we all do. We look at the circumstances and go like this. I better do something. I got to do something. You know, this is this is going to be really, really bad. And so, here you are. He's in a situation. He does exactly what he was commanded not to do. Now, maybe in your mind you think, well, it wasn't that big of a deal. I mean, golly, that wasn't that bad. Remember anybody what happened when Moses did a disobedient thing before the Lord about a rock and water? Do you recall that that prevented him from going into the land? And we all think, well, God, that, that didn't seem like that big of a deal. But it was a big deal. It was disobedience. It was disobedience before the Lord and a specific command. And so Saul did something on his own that was a big deal. We may not in our own minds think it was a big deal, but it was a very big deal. He took on the position of a priest that he didn't have, that he wasn't authorized to be. 
And so we see that and go like, wow, that is bad. We should never do the thing that we're not supposed to do, even if the motivation is a good motivation. You should know better not to do it. So I look at that and we look at various situations throughout the scriptures. I, I'm reminded of uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, and I'm going to read this out of Second Corinthians 4, 8, and 9. Paul was in uh, many bad situations, and he could have turned to the arm of flesh. I mean, my goodness, the guy was in a bad way. So if you read that, 2 Corinthians 4, 8, and 9, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Paul knew where his strength came from, and he relied on the Lord. King David also makes a similar statement in Psalms 31. But as for me, I trust you, Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. Ultimately, fear causes all of us to make bad decisions. It really does. I mean, we could go down the line of a lot of decisions all of us made because we we're fearful of whatever was going on. And so you make a bad decision based off of the fear. Instead of the faith that as believers is supposed to overcome that fear that we have at that moment. Some of these things are a little comical to me, but not so much. But, okay, so I give you a few illustrations. Abraham. We remember Abraham, Father Abraham. Yeah, what did he do? Oh, Sarah? That's my sister. <laughs> Twice. Once wasn't good enough. First he did it with Abimelech, then he did it with Pharaoh. And you know what's really weird about this? If you really read that story, they all thought that... Uh, she was pretty good-looking woman, Sarah was, and they wanted her. You know how old she was? About 65 to 70. I don't know what them guys were looking at, but apparently you know, she was awfully good-looking at that age, that's all I can say. And yet he lies, and both times he gets found out right away before the two kings do something really stupid. And what do they say to him? Like, what are you doing? you trying to get us destroyed? That's your wife. Why didn't you just say that? Well, I was afraid. I feared you would take her and kill me. Once wasn't good enough. You had to do it two times. Okay? So I'm just saying that we, we have these examples that it's like, wow, what, what were they thinking? And so there, there's one. Um, I, I really look at the one with Aaron, and we talked about this. Moses is up on the mountain. He's receiving the Ten Commandments. Shall I do it? Yes, I should. Did you watch the movie, The Ten Commandments? Come on, please. It's a really good part of the movie. Anyway, Moses is coming off the mountain. Who tells Moses to come off the mountain? God does. He says, your people are doing wickedness in my eyes. It's funny how it went from his to Moses' people suddenly. It's like, your daughter is really bad. Your son is... Well, wait, it's yours too, isn't it? Uh, no, 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 yours. No, just pointing this out that it, there is some humor in some of this. And so you can read this in Exodus 32. And so and I'm going to go there, Exodus 32, 1. Now, when the people saw Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled around Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us. For this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what happened to him. Then Moses questioned. Now I'm going to skip ahead. 
He comes down a mountain. They're worshiping a golden calf. Moses questions Aaron. Verse 24. So, what happened, Aaron? So I said to them, well, whoever has some gold, let them tear it off. Then they gave it to me, and I threw it into a fire, and shazam, out came this calf. <laughs> oh, you're kidding, shazam right? Yeah, it was implied in the Hebrew. I forgot to mention that part. Oh, golly gosh, Batman, it just appeared out of nowhere. I don't know. And then they all started worshiping, and, well, I had to sacrifice those uh, critters in front of it, and etc. I mean, how ridiculous is that? But why did Moses do that? Out of fear. I mean, why did Aaron do He did it out of fear. Fear of the people. So... Out of fear, we wind up making really bad decisions. And that was a perfect example of it. Now, one that I liked that ever brought up was about Peter. Right? And we can read that in Matthew 26, 69. Now, Peter was sitting outside the courtyard, and a slave woman came to him and said, You too were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I don't know what you're talking about. When he had gone out, to the gateway, another slave woman saw him and said to those who were there, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. A little later, a bystander came up and said to Peter, you really are one of them as well, since even the way you talk gives you away. Then he began to curse and swear, I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the statement that Jesus had made before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. But Peter went out and he wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. He knew what he did was wrong. See, in my opinion, can't prove it. You'll see the difference with Saul. King Saul never repented of what he did. He never had remorse for his wrongdoing. In fact, what he did, he had a lot of excuses. He said, well, you were delayed. You weren't showing up on time, and I, I needed to do something because my, my whole army was melting away. I mean, by this time, he's down to 600 guys from 3,000 because they're all running. They're scared. He says, I, I had to do it. So out of fear, he does this. But he does not repent of it. He does not show remorse for what he did. No, he just doubles down on it and says, well, you were late. Uh, well, Samuel doesn't say, but it's again implied that uh, it is still the seventh day, isn't it? Yes, it was still the seventh day. The truth is, as far as what Samuel's hearing, he's realizing that this is not the kind of king Israel needs. His heart is not after the Lord. His heart is moved by the people out of fear and got to be part of the crowd and has to have approval of the crowd and etc. as opposed to the most important appro- uh, approval which is of God obedience so if you pick it up there in chapter 13 and 11 but Samuel said what have you done and Saul said since I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come at the appointed time and that the Philistines were assembled at Michmash I thought now the Philistines will come down against me in Gilgal and and I have not asked the favor of the Lord. So I worked up the courage and offered the burnt offering. But Samuel said to Saul, You have acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord, your God, 
which he commanded you, for the Lord would now have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has appointed him ruler over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Now you might think, again, like I said earlier, that's awful harsh. Wow. But keeping the commandment of the Lord was important. And his heart, Saul's, gave away who he really was. And so if you read earlier, and it's in our other text, that you'll see that Saul lacked courage at times he needed to have courage. He failed to show up at times he needed to show up. And then he did act foolishly at the times he shouldn't have been acting foolishly. And so you'll see that as you observe that. When Samuel confronted Saul, what did Saul do? He gave excuses. But later on, when we see David confronted for his sin with Bathsheba, he acknowledged his sin and repented with great remorse. He acknowledged that what he did was wrong. He realized and made no excuse for his actions. That's the difference. And I think that's an important point that we recognize that. Uh, Everett put in the commentary, more or less, Saul acted like a child. He got caught in his, with his hand in the cookie jar, more or less. Like, and then made up a lot of excuses about what happened there. But uh, a true man of God truly will repent of his sins for what he's done. And that's what we should do. And that's what we're supposed to do. By trying to justify ourselves before God in our sin, what do we do? We make God the liar. God's not a liar. He's not a man that he should lie. And so we should know that. Fear can come in all kinds of things. First John 1.19 If we confess our sins, He's faithful and righteous so that He will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from our unrighteousness. Just confess your sins. Don't try to hide them. Confess them. There are consequences to our sins and we need to accept them and move on. In Galatians 6, 1, Brothers and sisters, even if a person is caught in any wrongdoing, you are spiritual, are to restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourselves so that you are not tempted as well. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a person sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Saul lost his kingdom. David's sin cost him a nation nation in the future, but not his kingdom. They both sinned, but one acknowledged and repented. There's a difference. A final point I want to make here. If you look at Proverbs 16:12, if you say, see, we did not know this, does he who weighs the hearts not consider it? And does he who watches over your soul not know it? And will he not repay a person according to his works? But then in verse 16, for a righteous person falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in time of disaster. We do not have to remain defeated. We don't have to beat ourselves up over our sins continuously. 
Because guess what? Everybody in here sins, right? <laughs> and we're, we're all doing that stuff. Now, you can stay in that spot and continue to beat yourself, or you can recognize you can move forward, but don't lie to yourself. And that's one of the things that over the years I've observed a lot of folks like to lie to themselves or justify their sins or pretend they're not that big of a deal. But they're, they're a big deal because they hinder you spiritually. They hinder you in your growth with the Lord. And so I think that's a very big part. Recognize your sins. In Luke 22:31 and 32, this is Jesus speaking to Peter. Okay? And this is just before everything goes on in, in the garden. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And you, when you have turned back. He's telling them, when you've turned back. Strengthen your brothers. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. But he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied me three times. So we see that Peter was sure he wasn't going to fail the Lord, but he did. But then the Lord had already told them, when you turn back, that's all of us. We fail, but when we turn back to the Lord, he's there to strengthen us, to forgive us, to uphold us. And guess what we get to do? Uphold each other, strengthen each other. Not beat each other up day and night, night and day. You did that, you did this, you did that. Um, I feel bad for those that live with individuals that can remember everything you did wrong. But, you know, having seen that myself, observed that, not for myself, but for other people in my own family that could recall every single thing I ever did wrong. I had a personal friend that could do the same thing. And I just was amazed. How could he do that? How could he remember everything I ever did wrong? And then recount it every time I did something else wrong. It was just astounding. I'm like, boy, you waste a lot of brain power doing that stuff because I don't remember a thing. You know, done is over, it's done with, gone. Past is the past. Uh, but some people seem to remember that. Well, that's called not letting go. And so when you say, I forgive you, and then you bring it back up and regurgitate it 14 more times. No, you didn't. I'm pretty sure you didn't forgive anybody. Otherwise, you wouldn't keep bringing that back up of the failures of that person. So I think that's an important thing that we as believers uh, need to pay attention to, that need to you know, watch out for and to guard our hearts against. Everyone fails. Everyone has things that they've done in their lives that they're not too proud of, right? Uh, but that doesn't mean we should be bludgeoning ourselves day and night over it. It means we need to acknowledge it. You know, here's, here's a classic, and, and it's kind of weird, but, you know, those of you who know my job is, as a home inspector, I'm in homes every day of the week. I see stuff every day. I see all kinds of stuff. Some of it's really weird. Some of it's really like, wow, that's pretty bizarre, right? And so for anybody, and particularly I'm speaking to believers at this point, uh, don't pretend like, gee, I don't know how that pornography got in that computer. <laughs> I have a clue how that got there. Uh, I don't know how that alcohol got in that, that glass that I drank or, or them pills I swallowed. I, 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 golly, I don't know. I don't know why I lost my temper for the 10th time today and screamed at everybody and yelled at them and went nuts. Don't, don't say that. Acknowledge that you did that. That's on you. You need to repent of it and move forward. You know, it's, it's one of those things that we all have to deal with our stuff and don't run away from it. You're better off to deal with it 
And so I encourage all of us to go to those individuals that we truly trust and confess our sins one to another, as the Word says. If you really trust them, don't just any old buddy. But tell them, hey, I'm struggling with X, Y, and Z or whatever it is. Just tell them. Tell them the truth. And say, hey, can you hold me accountable? Can you help me? Can you whatever? That's what we're supposed to do as the body of Christ, as I view it. I'm going to reverse the two passages that Everett closed with. Uh, he used uh, Romans 8, 28, and 29, and then Jeremiah 29, 11. I, I reversed that order. And so I'm going to finish with that. Romans 8, 28, 29. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purposes. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And then finally in Jeremiah 29:11, For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your welfare, not your destruction to give you a future and a hope. That's for all of us. It's a good promise, right? For every one of us. And so I think these are some really important things we should consider and think about. Yes, Saul failed and failed badly. Um, But we, when we fail, need to acknowledge it and repent of it and then allow the Lord to work in our hearts overcome whatever that is that we're failing in. I'm going to close with really a prayer right out of the Bible, but it's going to be a prayer and then a prayer. Okay? So this is Jude. Uh, You'll know where I'm going to go. 24. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Father, we thank you that we have your word. We thank you, Lord God, that we know that we can trust your word. Lord God, that we can trust you. Father God, you know our beginning, you know our ending, and everything that's in between. Lord, I just pray that we would not be as a Saul, not repentant and remorseful of our sins, but that we would be repentant and remorseful when we sin. Lord God, we know that you're there for us. We know that you've given us the strength for every one of us that's called upon your name. Lord, I just thank you right now that we can rely upon you, that your Holy Spirit is with us. Lord God, that you would be with us this week, keeping and protect every one of us. In the name of Jesus, amen.